Hey everyone, I'm Amanda. Welcome to Village Church q and I'm here with Pastor Michael, and today we are going to be answering the question, what does the Bible say about sex before marriage? Mm. Now, I feel like if you've lived in the church community, in the Christian community for any period of time, you should know the answer to this question. But let's get a cultural pulse on what's actually happening. Mm. I have some stats, and then I'll let you answer. Okay. 80% of evangelicals have had sex before marriage. 36% of evangelicals don't believe casual sex is wrong. Mm. 46% of evangelicals believe sex between adults in a committed but unmarried relationship is okay. A study in 2009 found that those who took purity pledges had the same sexual behavior of non-pledgers. And lastly, more evangelicals mm. wait to have sex until marriage and believe casual sex is wrong compared to mainline Christians and atheists, but that percentage is still too high. Yeah. Those are loaded stats. That is loaded. I feel yeah. like I need a minute to digest. Yep. What's what's most interesting is the difference between mainline Protestants and evangelicals in their view of sex mm. before marriage. Mm -hmm. So mainline Protestants, by and large, not exclusively, buy much more into a cultural, secular sexual ethic mm -hmm. than evangelicals do. But even just, I think, what was the first one you said? They're 36% of... It says 36% of evangelicals don't believe casual sex is wrong. Correct. Yep. 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 That's, and by the way, just very anecdotally, uh, my wife and I do a lot of premarital counseling. We obviously engage a lot of uh, high school, college age, young adults, and uh, it has been just shocking the transition of sexual ethics in the evangelical church um, over the last 20 years. So like if you were to take these stats in the nineties, it would actually look really quite different than it does than it does today. So, so as you're counseling, you've been seeing this like transition. Oh of... yeah, yeah, yeah. And and honestly, the ubiquity of pornography is a huge, huge issue issue that numbs you just to the entire experience. So, um, yeah, that there are so many dynamics here. It's culture. It's porn. It's the church. It's lack of teaching. Availability um, of all of those things. Right. You yeah. know. And then and then if you like the the story of people coming to Christ in high school or junior high but not having a Christian home. And um, you don't, some of them, they go to youth group, but they can't really get to church. You know, so there's like this really interesting high school dynamic. And yeah. then when you go away to college, uh, getting right, really good teaching, because when you come to Christ, you have to learn tons of things. Mm. And um, it's really challenging to make sure that not only do young Christians have a solid biblical sexual ethic, but they believe it and are compelled by it. Like that's, mm -hmm. you know, so this is, this is a huge issue. So let me, uh, let me give, I think the answer, and then I want to process this out. So the answer uh, is very simple. The Bible is unbelievably without a shadow of a doubt, clear that sex is designed exclusively for the context of marriage between a man and a woman period. That's it. Okay. So, it. Um, but, and, um, we are sexual beings outside of marriage. Uh, when you're single, whatever. I mean, it's not that we are like asexual and then you get you're married. Like, turn it's it like, on you and turn then it you on. turn it off. Yeah. And really, like, I have a lot of empathy because um, we are now getting married later and later and later. I mean, even you think about uh, physiologically, the male body is geared up for this by 14, 15, yeah. 16 years old. Mm -hmm. And then culture says, uh, we're going to postpone your your functional adolescence. And then maybe like if you go to your parents at 25 now and say, we're looking to get married, they'll say, oh, you're so young. Yeah. You have so much time. And 
And then there are actual sexual consequences to to some of these cultural movements mm. that Christianity has has bought into. But if you raise a kid and you don't force them to grow up, right? If you let them follow the culture's timeline, well, then they're going to, they're probably statistically going to struggle a lot more yeah. with this stuff. So um, I, I have, I have some tension with this question. And, and on the one hand, um, if you are our age, right? Um, purity culture was a very real thing. And I, I have listened to so many podcasts on purity culture and how abusive it was for people. I never experienced that. Mm. Um, I grew up in a, in a home in a church that had pretty rational, level-headed thinking about sexuality and, and what happens when you make a mistake. And, uh, but the stories are endless about people who felt oppressed in that culture. Mm. Um, I, I don't know what to do with that, but I do know that even broaching this subject puts people kind of on edge. Uh, they're like, ooh, what's he, what's he going to say? Is he going to be gracious or mean? Or uh, was that? Do you feel like they felt like the church was overstepping? Is that the feeling? That no, the idea was um, uh, you masturbate, you, you had sex. Like, oh, you went it was too like, far. <gasps> how dare you? You like, know, you're like, not even a Christian. We don't even know if you can be saved at yes. this point. You know, okay. like, is this it, even redeemable? Almost like a salvation yeah. and issue. Then, and okay. then the, you know, the very church that is supposed to be pro-life, when somebody gets pregnant out of wedlock, it's like the end of the world when like heaping shame upon shame helps nobody ever. Mm. I mean, I've never seen that work personally. Yeah. So, um, but I never watched these stories. Right. So yeah. we grew up in a pretty large church, but they just did a really good job of not freaking out and going crazy and teaching really well and helping us think biblically about a whole you know panorama of subjects and sexuality. I found it to be uh, fine, but that isn't I'm hesitant because many people that's not that's not their story. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, um, we have this overreaction to this pain where people flatline all sin. And so the the phrase is there is no sin that's worse than another. And we've already talked about that on this podcast, but uh or on this on the show. So and the reality is there are some sins that are worse than other sins. Like there are some sins where the damage is greater. Like would you rather have your child murder somebody or steal? Right. The consequences are way different. Right. And and all sin separates us from God, but not all sin has the same consequences. And so I think in the evangelical world, one of the reasons why we've kind of emphasized this issue is because we do see the consequences for it. Now, what's not popular is is what I have to do and my wife has to do, which is we pick up the pieces of sexual brokenness in marriage. Mm-hmm. And most people, um, they believe this lie that if I just get married, it'll make it all right, but it doesn't. You bring all of this baggage yeah. into the into the marriage bedroom. And so people don't see that, nor do we shout that from the rooftops. Um, but it is a very common conversation we have when we do premarital counseling. Like, like you have to understand, you have to deal with some of this stuff because if it's undealt with, it just rears its ugly head later. Um, and many people probably listening to this or watching this know that to be true, but have never told anybody their own story. Yeah. Um, unfortunately or fortunately, we have the opportunity to hear those stories and sexual consequence does have a, a, a very, very powerful, um, ability to affect you later, later in life, if it's unrepented, undealt with. And, um, but at the same time, like, I also don't want to make it the unforgivable sin or like, mm-hmm. like the blood of Christ, a can cover anything from mass genocide to sex outside of marriage to lying and deception. I mean, the blood of Christ is powerful. The Holy spirit can really heal anything. 
um, that you have done. Uh, I mean, again, like some people give sexual sin this like a uh, power, like, man, I don't know if the blood of Christ can deal with this one. This yeah. is too much, you know? So I, I think by and large, the church has not been nuanced enough. Um, we've overplayed our card one way or the other. We've um, prioritized purity um, at the expense of grace or grace at the expense of purity. And really mm -hmm. the middle ground is probably, you know, a healthier way to go. Sure. All right. So there are some different positions on this. And I think this is, I think this is helpful. So the first, the first one is people have this idea that the Bible doesn't talk about it. Patently false. All, if you say that to me, here's what it tells me as a Bible teacher. You, you actually just haven't read the Bible. Yeah, you don't read it. You don't read it. Mm -hmm. um, you've been hearing other people say stuff. You're regurgitating it, but you haven't actually looked at it. Um, the second perspective on this would be the Bible talks about sex outside of marriage, but its views are antiquated. Um, this is usually in the progressive Christianity camp, um, and uh, of which actually the next two Sundays at the time of this recording, I'm preaching a two-week series on progressive Christianity, helping people understand what it is and how it's affecting you know the church. But this is an idea that um, the Bible is a snapshot of a time in history and the ethics aren't necessarily transcultural, but they were for that moment and that time. And now we got to figure out how to create us a, a new sexual ethic that works in this culture. Right. Mm. Um, again, we do not believe that the Bible's views on sexuality are antiquated. We believe that they are transcultural. They are biblical for all people, no matter what culture you live in. Uh, a third view of it is the Bible talks about sex before marriage, says it's wrong. Uh, and this is actually a very practical perspective. They say, yeah, but it's fun and God will forgive me anyways. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're massively understating the consequences um, spiritually before God, which many people don't realize um, possibly in their future marriage. Mm -hmm. And then finally the fourth view, which I think is much better is the Bible talks about sex outside of marriage, condemns it, but also gives an unbelievable amount of grace to those who struggle. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably a, a more nuanced uh, look at it. So I think a question that somebody could ask is, okay, Michael, where does it talk about it? Let's just be yeah, really clear. Like so point. I remember in high school, I wanted to figure this out. And I remember looking uh, up sex before marriage and I couldn't find the words. Hmm. Um, and I was frustrated and I'm like, what am I supposed to imply it? Like, I feel like something this big should be explicit. What I didn't know in high school was that there are actual words that the Bible uses that are not those words, but they have actual meaning and it means. It's the means the same thing, but what right. we say. Totally. It, at this point in time. So the Bible sexual ethic, there are five ways, five ingredients, if you will, that all come together and communicate. Number one, Genesis 1 to 2, um, God is communicating the design for sexuality and marriage. Uh, this is a pre-fallen world where sex is between one man and one woman. Um, it is made to uh, bless them, bring them together, and fill the world, right? So that's that's like number one. But for a lot of people, they'll say, eh, they don't understand how Hebrew uh, narrative is written. They don't get the whole point of Genesis. So that's that's not really convincing for them. But you do need to know that that is the standard. And the rest of the Bible looks back at that as the standard. So number two is that Old, Old Testament narrative. Um, tells us what is what is good and bad, not by saying it, by showing it. So every single time in Old Testament narrative, sexuality exceeds the bounds of marriage between a man and a woman. It goes terribly. Yeah, I mean, it just utterly falls apart. Um, number three is biblical poetry, and this is actually again hard for American Christians because we want a sentence, right? The Bible says that sex outside of marriage is wrong. 
um, Proverbs, uh, a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Um, verses like this regularly, the book of Song Solomon is a book celebrating marital love between a man and a woman. I mean, mm-hmm. so the poetry is, is communicating that. Um, then there are non-debatable biblical words. Uh, there's a handful of them, but really the biggest one is fornication. Fornication uh, was not a confusing term to the early church. They knew exactly what it meant. And it meant any kind of sinful uh, sexual activity um, outside of the context of marriage. Like that's really what this word means. So you'll see it in Greek, it's porneia. Um, and uh, what happens whenever you see this word, they know that is their word for sexuality out of the out of the confines of God's intention for it. And then the last one is the New Testament is just replete with teaching on sexual ethics. Um, you put all these together, you get Genesis, you get narrative, you get poetry, you get the actual vocabulary, you get the holistic teaching of the New Testament. It all demands one conclusion, which is sex outside of the bounds of marriage is not God's design. Um, it is sinful. And the grace of God stands ready to forgive, heal, and redeem anybody who has struggled. So there's a lot there. Yes. Um, but if you're looking for sex outside of marriage, you're you're not going to quite find it like that. You're going to find fornication or pornea or words like that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if there was a passage that somebody should go to in the New Testament, mm-hmm. do you have that for us? You know what I would tell you to do? Go look up the word fornication really? in your Bible. And every time you find it, you're going to find it forbidden 100% of the time. Okay. And it always refers to sex outside of the confines of marriage. That's what the word actually means. Okay. It's not even a debatable term. So that's where I would okay. say we can go to like 50 passages right. and talk about it. You know, And that is the, yeah. the wording that they would be looking yep. for. Yep. Fornication. That's okay. going to be your word. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think this is timely because as parents living in this culture, I think mm-hmm. it's always a vulnerable thing that we have to shepherd in our kids. Yeah, no doubt. So if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, it's something that we need to be thinking about mm-hmm. and really paying attention to and hopefully doing it right. So thank you mm-hmm. for that response. Next time we're going to be ask, answering the question is the spiritual gift of healing for today. 